so today we want to get into the Word. Uh, I want you to go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And we're going to continue our series called Matthew, the Gospel of the Kingdom. And today I want to talk about the critical nature of our mission. The critical nature of our mission. Now last week, we focused our attention upon the last words of Jesus as he prepared to go back to the Father in heaven. We looked intently at his speech concerning the mission of believers in the world. Now this mission, make no mistake about it, is to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of all people groups. To make disciples across the kaleidoscope of the human experience. Now let's take another quick look at the king's speech in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The word says to us in the English Standard Version, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Whatever you do, underline, highlight that, put it in your mind. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now he says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, our mission, real quickly, as we recap this, our mission is empowered with the authority of Jesus Christ. So if someone says, by what authority do you preach the gospel? I tell them the authority given to me by Jesus Christ. If someone asks you, under what authority do you think you can share with the world how God would want us to relate to him, tell them by the authority given to me. By Jesus Christ. We have the authority to make disciples. Not only the mandate, but the authority to make disciples. That means ability and power used in the right way in the right hands. We have the authority. So the second thing is our mission, this great commission, is a go mission. We talked about that last week. And that means, my brothers and sisters, if you weren't here last week, it means that you must be willing to leave your comfort zone. You got to leave your comfort zone. You have to break up with the idea that I'm going to be comfortable as a Christian in this world. Oh, ain't nobody saying nothing on that one. I, I knew it was going to be quiet. <laughs> you, have to, you have to get in your mind that being a Christian is not about my personal comfort. 
Now, not to blow my own horn, but toot toot. I had a 1250 on my SAT. The Lord was kind to me because I was probably up way too late the night before I took that test, so I know it wasn't nothing but God. But let me tell you something. If I wanted comfort, I was getting mail from Harvard and Yale and those kinds of institutions. Could have gone off to Purdue and been a civil engineer. But God called me into the gospel ministry. And he called me into a work that was not designed about my comfort. We are called as Christians to be uncomfortable in this world. The old saints had it right. They used to sing that song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The old hymn had it right. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim in this barren land. So we, we must understand that we are all exiles as believers while we are here on earth. And so our mission is to leave our comfort zone. Our mission is a focused mission. It is a focused mission. If you look at that 20th verse, and he says, sharing, teaching them to observe all things, which are baptized in verse 19 and verse 20, baptize them and teaching them to observe all things, whether he has commanded us and he is with us to the end of the age. It is a very focused mission. Now, I could say more, and I probably will, <laughs> but the church has become stretched beyond the boundaries of our mission. We've been used by the world to accomplish things that are not the primary reason why God called you out of sin and darkness into this marvelous light. God has called us to a focused mission. People in the street going hungry because we more worried about other stuff. Y'all ain't got to say nothing. Now this speech, this speech that Jesus gave in this text also appears in other forms in the New Testament. In John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, we see these words. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Notice that John's version has the same sending theme. I am sending you. I, I, I want to pause there for a minute. I want you to think just a minute about in your prayer life, how many times do you send Jesus? Hmm? <laughs> think about that. Lord, go down to the hospital and visit the sick. <laughs> Lord, go down to the prisons. 
and visit the inmates. When I get to yours, just say something. Lord, go by my neighbor's house and take care of the situation in my neighbor's house. Go to the court. Be a lawyer in the courtroom, a doctor in the sick room. We send Jesus all over the world, don't we? Hmm? Well, wait a minute. From what I'm reading here, it is not us to send him, but he is sending us. Luke 24, verses 45 through 49, we have these words. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I love that, how Luke says that. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In other words, our minds would probably not naturally be open to understanding the scriptures. So God had to open, Jesus had to open their minds to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now watch this, verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to the people on your block. To your hood, to your house. Yes, all those places, but look at what he says. To all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now Luke follows this in his second volume that is known as the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 forms a theme of early church history. And it, as a matter of fact, it forms the theme of the book of Acts. If you, if you look at Acts 1 and 8 and read that, and you'll see the pattern of the book of Acts follows that one verse. And it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, right? Okay, has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, Acts chapter 2 right there. They were witnesses. 3,000 people got saved. What a wonderful party that must have been, right? But he says also, you're going into all Judea. Well, there was a little stuff that God allowed called persecution that got them a little more motivated. See, if they drove you out your neighborhood from preaching the gospel, would you keep preaching? Or would you be like, can I stay if I be quiet? <laughs> I love this house. <laughs> would you keep preaching the gospel? And he says, you'll be with witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That verse describes everything that happens in the book of Acts. So as you can see, the message of the king's speech in Matthew is repeated throughout Scripture and is indeed the marching order for the believer in the world. The first church saw and understood the critical nature of this mission. Peter and James and John and all of them committed their lives to this mission. Paul had a unique view of the mission that Jesus had engaged his followers in. That unique view, he, he recaps for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, I, I, and I really think that Paul is really in a great rhythm here. And this, this is one of those things that you say as a preacher, this will preach. <laughs> so think, right, so think about it. What he says here, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Somebody will say amen right there. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always. Somebody say always. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Do you think that's comfortable? Always carrying in my body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in my body. I'm always dying to sin so that I may live to him. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. When you want to know why when you try to do things that are not right and it doesn't work out, God is killing sin in your life. Nobody saying nothing there. You don't. Sometimes we act like we don't want God to kill sin. <laughs> but see, these things that Christ is doing, God is killing that flesh, that sinful nature in your life. Why? Because what he wants to do is birth the nature of Christ, the nature of his spirit, the nature of Jesus in your life. So that when people see you, they don't see the mess that you came through, but they see Christ in you. What we want to show them is our mess. So one day, sometimes if anybody gets saved. Thanks be to God <laughs> that God saves people in spite of us, right? So we have seen what the, what the king's speech meant to these early believers. So what does this king's speech mean to us? And we're going to be dealing with this. So, you know, just so you know, this, this will not be uh, um, the most expository thing for the next two weeks. We're going to be dealing with this on a more practical level because these next two weeks... We're going to be talking about what this king's speech means to us. It was the nature of this message from last week that when we gathered as a pastoral staff this past Tuesday, led us to follow God's direction for our church and to dive deeper into this mission. This mission, the king's speech, is too critical too important and too necessary to just allow for it to be covered in just one sermon. So many people across Bethel Church were saying, could you, could, could you all give us more of that? We need to understand this deeper and better because we do. See, I don't believe people don't necessarily don't want to be on this mission. I think as a church, as a church leaders, as ministers and preachers, we need to do a better job of explaining how we need to go on this mission. Amen? Worst thing you can do to an army is tell them that they're going to fight somewhere and just turn them loose and that's it. 
no training, no, no understanding of the mission, no purpose. So we can't do that. This mission is too important for just one message. And, and so after prayer for consideration, our, our staff believes that God is not finished with us regarding this mission. So to illustrate the critical nature of our mission and current culture, culture Allow me to share with you a little bit of my experience from Oakland, California on last week. Now, I want to take this moment to, uh, to publicly apologize to everybody that was waiting on the meeting with me yesterday. Because something happened to me that hadn't happened in 25 years. I missed the flight. <laughs> and it troubled me. You know, I, I text Dexter, I'm like, I, I cannot believe I missed the flight. Let me tell you how I missed the flight. Sometimes we have too much technology for our own good. So whenever you get your ticket from Southwest Airlines, they send you an email and, you, and they ask you a question. Do you want us to add this to your Outlook calendar or your Google calendar? I'm like, yes, that's wonderful. I don't have to type it in there myself. So I'm in the central time zone when I'm somebody see where it's going now when I get the Google calendar message. And the central time zone is two hours ahead of the Pacific time zone. So that was all good when it came time for me to leave. I knew exactly what time to leave. When I got to Oakland, I was two hours behind, but my calendar didn't change. So I got time to go on Friday. I said, what time is my flight? I looked on and said, oh, 7.10. Wonderful. Got to the airport at 5.05. Outside of the baggage check. <laughs> and the guy said, you... If you check your bags if you want to, you got five minutes to get that plane. It's rolling out. So I missed the flight. So I apologize to everybody for, miss, for having to cancel that meeting. But let me tell you some of the good things and some of the challenges that came out of that meeting last week. Now, I was at a conference on, on youth gun violence, okay, in the inner cities, sponsored by Ceasefire and uh, also the peacemakers out there in Oakland, they've had a tremendous breakthrough on reducing youth gun violence in the city of Oakland. At one time, Oakland was one of the most dangerous communities in the United States. A little town just north of Oakland called Richmond had a homicide rate, gun violence, of 49 per 100,000, which was which was crazy. It was actually at that time higher than the per capita homicide rate in major cities like New York and Chicago and L.A. In Richmond, California. Who knew? But right there, kids, there was a shooting almost every day in Richmond, California that year. Every day. So I learned some disheartening realities and confirmed some suspicious surrounding the problem of our young people regarding violence in our inner cities. Out of this picture of violence, we looked at the report, there was a report given on Chicago in 2015 or 2016 and 16. Chicago experienced 58% more homicides and 43% more non-fatal shootings between 2015 and 2016. Annual increases of this size are not unprecedented for American cities, particularly in recent years, but are rare 
for a city of Chicago's size. One striking feature of Chicago's increase in gun violence is how sudden it was. As of December 2015, nobody thought that 2016 would be a violent year, a more violent year in Chicago. But in January 2016, homicides and shootings surged relative to their 2015 levels and remained higher in almost every month that followed, threatening 20 years of progress. And people don't want to talk good about Chicago. But Chicago is making 20 years of progress in gun violence before the last two years. And so... This increase was mostly in the gun crimes and other crimes did not change by nearly as much. Now here's, now, now watch this. So this was going on, this is going on in a lot of our major cities, Oakland, Chicago, L.A., you know, in some cases New York, right here in Gary, amen? We've had this, this issue with gun violence. But at this same conference that was led by predominantly Christians, I realize again how far we as believers have drifted away from our mission. One of the lead organizers, a pastor whose picture is in the brochure with his clergy collar on, bless his heart, referred, he referred to young people living in a culture of violence and death and said with humor intended that some of y'all would just say, get them saved. And he was laughing. And the room started laughing. I didn't laugh. Just get them saved. Some of y'all will say that, like, that's the answer to everything. Just get them saved. And was making light of the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to know just for a moment, is there anybody in here that was a little dangerous before you met the Lord? Throw your hand up real fast. Don't let anybody, we know you're saved now, but you was a little dangerous. You was out there. You were doing some stuff that you had no business doing. You would have hurt somebody if they just crossed you the wrong way. See, the gospel made a change in your life. He laughed about that. Laughed as if salvation as a cure for violence and, and death was so preposterous that the gospel and resulting salvation is funny to even consider as a solution. Now, some of y'all know me. I almost jumped out my seat. I, I did. I, I almost, I, I was, I was, oh, I was just, oh. But I didn't want to embarrass the man at his own conference. <laughs> but here's why I was upset. Because if the gospel truly brings life and shalom, which is peace, and I'm not talking about just the uh, peace as in no violence, but I'm talking about peace within that says I'm at peace with God, then that is exactly what is needed in a life that is shaped by death and violence. Now, now, now watch this now because some of y'all look at me. I don't, I don't oversimplify. Don't get, me, don't get it wrong. I'm not oversimplifying. I critically understand 
the diversity of needs for those caught in a web of hopelessness, violence, death, and despair, those needs that they do not possess and must try to live without. I'm aware of that. Their very survival. Now, here's where we got to not be so judgmental. Because their very survival is a testimony that they want to live. Some of the crime that is committed as a result of this hopeless condition is from a heart that says, I just don't want to live like I've been living before. So when you open your newspaper or watch your television news and you see mostly black and brown young people who we like to put up on cameras and say, look how bad things are. Don't get too judgmental. See, because if that's never been your reality, you don't understand. One of the reasons why Bethel Church came and planted in this city is because we understand that God is doing a great work right here in Gary. And he's invited us to be part of what he's already doing. See, I love how God does things. He says, I'm going to take your ashes and make them beautiful. What was burned down and broken and destroyed, I'm going to build back up. And God says, "If, if if I go to a place where everything is all lovely and I bless that place, some of y'all will take credit for that yourself. Because it was already pretty nice. Come on here, somebody. But if I take a place that everybody has written off, if I take a place that everybody has said nothing good can happen, if I take kids who people have thrown aside and build them up and save their lives, it ought to be everybody in here excited right now. If I take kids that have been labeled as having no chance, And through Christ, give them the chance that they need. That's praiseworthy. That's what God does. So why is it funny to say that this lesson of how to live starts with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's not funny. But it shows us just how far we have drifted off mission. Is there anybody in here that's too hot right now? Because it's getting cold in here to me. I, maybe I'm not preaching well enough, y'all. You turned it off? Okay. I, th- I thought maybe I need to preach a little harder. because Y'all out there shivering and carrying on. And <laughs> so let me share with you three reasons why our mission is so critical. Three reasons, and I'll be done. Number one, our mission is so critical because our mission is the answer to what ails the world. Our mission is the answer to what ails the world. Okay? The culture war is raging 
my brothers and sisters, and we as Christians are losing. And largely because, well, I think there are two reasons we're really losing. Number one, we don't even know we're in a fight. And one of the quickest ways to get beat up is to not know you're in a fight. <laughs> Last thing you want to say when punches start getting thrown is that, oh, we fighting? <laughs> I didn't know we was fighting. <laughs> That's how you get knocked out. See, <laughs> so, so one of the reasons is because we don't really even know we're in a culture. We're, we're in a fight for the culture of our, of our communities, for the for this, this, for people in this world. We don't know. Another reason I think that we're, we're, we're losing is because those of us who, who are fighting, we're fighting the wrong battle. We're, we're fighting a temporary kingdom of man battle when we ought to be fighting an eternal kingdom of God battle. That's going to catch up with you when you get home, amen? So, 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 that, so we're losing. Now, we must not, and, and here's the thing. One reason we lose is because we allow the world and current cultural trends to shape us. When you look at most of the church growth models around, you know what they start with? Well, let's find out what the culture wants. Now, I, I, I agree to a certain extent that if you don't speak the language of somebody, it's going to be hard to share Christ with them. And I think that's biblical. Because in 1 Corinthians 9, what does Paul say? I become all things to all men by that some means I may save them. That's basically what he's saying. I'm willing to appear as weak so that I can win weak folks. I think Paul might have, and don't quote me on this, but Paul might have, if he had been here, in this day and age, stood outside the nightclub. Now, some of us would have been, you know, ready to kick him out the church. But he would have been appearing as weak in order to save some people who were weak. Okay? So, so, so we, we can't continue to allow cultural trends to shape us. We ought to be shaping our culture. If the world is going to hell in a handbasket, maybe it's because we're carrying it. Y'all ain't come for that today, I know. I just, flesh and blood did not reveal that to me. I just want you to know. Maybe we're the ones that's carrying the handbasket because, because here God has put the culture in our, in our hands. And we're too busy allowing the culture to shape us. Here's another thing. We must not allow current cultural trends to continue to divide the church. Now, this is going to make somebody in here mad, but that's all right. You'll get over it. I trust in, in God's grace. Here's what happens. God doesn't give a who. Some of y'all thought I might say something else. I didn't. God doesn't give a hoot about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. He don't care about your party affiliation. 
He does not care. Now just let that marinate for a moment. And let me tell you one reason why he doesn't care. Because we are more upfront about our political designations than we are about our relationship with Christ. We won't tell anybody that we're a Christian, but we'll tell everybody who we voted for. Don't get quiet on me if you want to. We won't blast Facebook and social media with how much we love the Lord, but we'll blast Facebook and social media with how much we love our particular political affiliations. That's why God doesn't care what your affiliation is. The Lord God above is the greatest example of an independent there ever was. And ever will be. So you got to understand that. You spend more time in that, you off mission. You've drifted. You've drifted because you're taking a kingdom of man paradigm and trying to apply it to an eternal kingdom of God uh, paradigm. And it doesn't work that way. Now, the second thing here is the reason why is our mission is critical because our mission provides what every person needs more than anything else. And that is a right relationship with God. Now, how do I get people to a right relationship with God. Sometimes it starts with giving them a bowl of soup or some food or whatever the case may be. Sometimes it starts with listening to their story. But I'm always in my mind thinking one thing and one thing only in sharing that witness that I have to get people into that right relationship with God because it's a kingdom work. It calls for us to be true salt and light and not just words. So you can go over and put T-shirts on and all that kind of stuff, talk about how you salt and light. It's action that makes the difference. Now, we're going to spend next week talking about, and I won't do it today, but talking about some of that, the ways in which that action, what it looks like. So we'll know when we're doing that right kind of action that truly makes us salt of the earth and light of the world. But it's action nonetheless. You won't be salt and light sitting here in the building talking about what we ought to be doing. The other thing is, this, 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 this calls for every, us, every one of us to be proactive. Proactive. So in other words, we ought to be out ahead of what we know are the trends and tendencies in the world. How many people here know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? If you heard that before, raise your hand. Uh, just by every hand in here, go so what God, you know what God has done in that situation? He's given you Satan's plan. Can't you see Satan, be, when that scripture was written, can't you see Satan do like, man, you know, how you going to tell him what I'm going to do? <laughs> you are giving away my plan, God. 
Jesus said, I don't care. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm giving my kingdom your plan so that they can be out ahead of what. So if we know the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we need to be out ahead of that. When you look at the church, we, we get surprised. What? The devil did what? What? Uh, people are killing each other? Because we're not proactive. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the uh, kind of oxymoron or the, the paradox of this. We're to be proactive, but at the same time, we're to be reactive. Now, what does that mean? Well, Pastor, you just told me I got to be out ahead. Yes, you do. But you're out ahead, but you're ready to respond to that which you didn't see. That which you didn't see coming. Oh, come on here, somebody. You didn't see some things coming, but you got to be ahead of those things that you, that you could see coming. But there'll be things you didn't see coming. You got to react to those things right away. My neighbor's hungry. I need to feed him. I wasn't in their home. I didn't see that they didn't have any food. When I found out about it, I need to react. That's what it means. Then it calls for us to trust God's plan for humanity. So since we know God, we have to be in a right relationship with God, we ought to be trusting God's plan for humanity. Do not lose confidence or faith in God's plan. One of the reasons why our mission gets drifted away is because we begin to lose confidence in God's plan because it looks like it might not be working. And we're some impatient folks, aren't we? I had somebody tell me once, Pastor, you told me to go home and pray for my marriage. I prayed and woke up this morning and nothing was changed. Let me tell you something. Sometimes God wants you to persevere in prayer. Because living in the condition or circumstance that you're in is not just about doing something for your circumstances, but it's about doing something for you. Do you hear me today? And so we have to be, we have to trust God's plan. The last thing I'll tell you, and I'll let you go home today. Our mission is a life or death mission. Everybody say life or death. It's a life or death mission. It's a life or death mission. When we fail, people do not just die, but they spend eternity separated from God. Now, that's a lot to lay on you. And it's a heavy burden. And it's a heavy load. But it's one we need to know. When we skip sharing our faith with the person that we feel led to share our faith with, and we say, no, I can't, I can't talk about that. Nobody wants to hear me talk about Jesus. I didn't, you know, I, I just came to the grocery store to shop. I didn't come on no evangelistic mission. <laughs> And that's how we look at it, isn't it? I'm going to wait till pastor get us all together and we can walk the neighborhood and that's when I'll share my faith. Every day of your life, you're on an evangelistic mission. 
And when we skip those people, who knows if they'll ever get a chance to hear the gospel again? Who knows if we, if we say, God, don't use me like that right now because I'm in a hurry. I just want to pump my gas and I want to leave. Who knows? It's a life of definition. So I ask you this question. Is there someone that you would share the gospel with so that they might live with Jesus forever? Or do you have a no sinners allowed policy? Which, by the way, would exclude yourself. (laughs) Right? Is there anybody that you care about enough to not want to see them go to hell? You love them enough, you're concerned enough about the mission that God has put you on? Or are we too wrapped up with what's going on in our own life? Last week, in our worship, we had a brother that went outside, walked outside, and had a massive heart attack. Mother Frieda's brother. Went to the hospital, touch and go. We stood in a circle, we prayed. We asked the Lord to do his thing. Let me tell you, today, one week later, after having seven arteries clogged, four stents put in last Sunday, not breathing on his own, one week later, he's out of ICU. Our mission, that glory goes to God. That glory goes to God. All glory there goes to him. But our mission is so critical. I don't know. God could have used anybody. But there was nothing that I was doing that was more important when I found out that he had had a heart attack in church. Nothing is more important than getting to the hospital to pray. Is there somebody you care enough about that you'll share the gospel with them? Is there someone that you might show the love of Christ in such a way that they will hear the gospel of Jesus? This mission is a critical mission. It's critical in so many ways. I just wanted to share with you today some of the ways in which this mission is so critical. I believe, and I'm confirmed on this now after seeing some of the things I saw last week in Oakland, that the answer to the problem of violence in our cities lies with the kingdom of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what he's given us. 
this church, right here, this campus, every Friday throughout this summer, our goal is to walk in one of these blocks and neighborhoods and pray for people, connect with them. If you're afraid, I'm not going to be mad at you, but this is not for the faint of heart. It's for those of us who say this is so critical that these young people hear and know that there's somebody who loves them, who cares about them. And so every, every week, we're going to get in this community and walk. And we'll walk a few blocks. We'll walk around here. So by the end of the summer, by the time of our All About Him service, the last Sunday in August, at the end of the summer, I want us to have touched as many lives as we possibly can. Will you help me in that? Will you help me? Now, it's going to mean some days you're going to come down on Friday and you've worked all week. You're going to be tired. It's going to be payday, all that kind of stuff. You're going to be thinking about where you can spend your chips. But I want you to put that aside and say, I want to get out here and walk to help save some lives. Because I believe that we have the answer and that our mission is critical and people are dying going to hell while we sit in our churches and talk about how bad things are. Amen? Not breathing on his own. One week later, he's out of ICU. Our mission, that glory goes to God. That glory goes to God. All glory there goes to him. But our mission is so critical. I don't know. God could have used anybody. But there was nothing that I was doing that was more important when I found out that he had had a heart attack in church. Nothing is more important than getting to the hospital to pray. Is there somebody you care enough about that you'll share the gospel with them? Is there someone that you might show the love of Christ in such a way that they will hear the gospel of Jesus? This mission is a critical mission. It's critical in so many ways. I just wanted to share with you today some of the ways in which this mission is so critical. I believe, and I'm confirmed on this now after seeing some of the things I saw last week in Oakland, that the answer to the problem of violence in our cities lies with the kingdom of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's what he's given us. 
this church, right here, this campus, every Friday throughout this summer, our goal is to walk in one of these blocks and neighborhoods and pray for people, connect with them. If you're afraid, I'm not going to be mad at you, but this is not for the faint of heart. It's for those of us who say this is so critical that these young people hear and know that there's somebody who loves them, who cares about them. And so every, every week, we're going to get in this community and walk. And we'll walk a few blocks. We'll walk around here. So by the end of the summer, by the time of our All About Him service, the last Sunday in August, at the end of the summer, I want us to have touched as many lives as we possibly can. Will you help me in that? Will you help me? Now, that's going to mean some days you're going to come down on Friday and you've worked all week. You're going to be tired. It's going to be payday, all that kind of stuff. You're going to be thinking about where you can spend your chips. But I want you to put that aside and say, I want to get out here and walk to help save some lives. Because I believe that we have the answer and that our mission is critical and people are dying going to hell while we sit in our churches and talk about how bad things are. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Amen. Let's get ready for our uh, benevolent giving today. Before we go, I want to share our benevolent gifts.